and Kevin is going to be preaching for us today. Um, So if you would stand with me um, and follow along while I read, it's going to be on page 811 of the House Bible in front of you, and that's Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being near and dear. Thank you for being the calm for our anxious hearts. God, please help us to remember that you have never failed and you won't start with us. Be with Kevin as he speaks today. This is a hard passage. Anxiety is real. It is something a lot of people deal with, God. And please help us to see when it is because we are not fixing our eyes on you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, I'm going to throw in two more awesome announcements. Um, Two weeks from today, the 29th, um, Robert Chong is going to be a guest preacher. Um, We did a one read um, over the summer from his book, Restoration Story, and he's going to come share that, some of that on the 29th. I'd highly encourage you to come back for that. It's going to be great. Another thing, today, January 15th, is um, two years since my wife was um, declared cancer-free by doctors. thankful for that, so you can keep, keep praying for her and for us. Um, so today's about do not worry. Um, I've had a few opportunities the last few years to, you know, think about this, but three times in this passage, Jesus repeat those four words, four words in English at least, do not be anxious, and I would argue there's no one here who doesn't need to see what the Lord says here. Australian pastor and author Mark Sayers argues that we're in a day of unprecedented rapid cultural change, and as a result, we live in the midst of what he calls ambient anxiety. It's always in the background, it's in the air that we breathe, ambient anxiety, and I think that's so true. He argues we're we're now in a globalized world where we're continuously connected through the internet, Decentralization has rapidly come as a result. Our foundations have been eroded. Power structures have radically changed. And tribalism has surged and divided. And it's led to all this uncertainty and all this fear. And the last few years have been especially terrible, 
have they not? Watching over a million people die of COVID in the U.S. alone, waking up seemingly once a week to hear of another mass shooting, wars, conspiracies, wildfires, politicians acting like kindergartners, and we've seen all this play out in real time over social media right before our eyes, and it's no wonder that so many of us have felt like such a mess. And with the theme of our passage today, many of us have wondered if our basic needs would still be met, right? The housing market has tanked, inflation has skyrocketed, skyrocketed, unemployment has surged. The word anxious certainly has applied to most of us here at some point. But that's also what makes Christ's command here especially hard. Do not be, he says, anxious. Do not be, really, Jesus? Can you not understand what it's like down here on earth? I mean, you were here, right? How can you command someone to not feel something anyway? Lord, how, how do you expect us to somehow will ourselves out of worry? Well, Carus, Jesus is the only one who can tell us how to feel. He's the only one who can guide us out of worry. Most importantly, he's the only one who can change the human heart. And that's why we're going to spend some time here today soaking in Christ's words here in Matthew chapter 6. Author Scott McKnight summarizes verses 25 through 34 this way. He says, these are words for radicals about a radical lifestyle of trusting God for the ordinaries of life while devoting oneself unreservedly toward the kingdom mission. I think that's so good. We're going to spend actually two weeks on this passage. And this week we'll focus on the first part of his explanation about what he calls this radical lifestyle of trusting God. But before we jump into it, I want to start out by speaking to two different groups that may have difficulties in hearing what Christ our Lord says here. First, to those who feel this hits too close to home. Now, I have close friends. I have family members who struggle with chronic, chronic, almost debilitating anxiety. And if that describes you, I have no doubt that what Jesus says here will still be relevant to you today. But I don't want you to hear it condemning you if that kind of anxiety is in your constant experience. God has knitted us together, body and soul, but both have been impacted by the fall, right? So our bodies can impact our souls, but it also works the other way around, praise God. Don't feel shame if we sometimes have to go see a doctor, but also please don't tune out these words from the great physician because he wants to help you, he wants to help me. Also, there are believers here that struggle in ways that are extreme, I don't know about here, but especially around the world, we can't deduce from these trials that our Lord's promises here aren't true. We've already seen in Matthew how believers will suffer for their faith, right? Many times they will be deprived of basic human needs, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have enough faith, that Jesus somehow didn't come true. We have to understand the context here. Christ's words are written here. They're actually spoken in the Sermon on the Mount to average first century folks in the Middle East who, like us, often worried, spent too much time worrying about where the ne next paycheck would come from. Second, to those who may feel that this doesn't apply to you. Maybe you're not a person who gen generally struggles with fear. I'd say file these words away because you don't, you don't know what lies ahead. 
But some of you may not worry because you're just not very responsible. Maybe you need to, quote, worry just a little bit more. You need to work and save and plan and, and maybe grow up a little bit. You can't dismiss these words either because of your temperament or because you're privileged enough to slack off without suffering much in the way of consequences. Or maybe you don't worry, not because you're careless, but because you have more than you'll ever need and are thus carefree. Maybe you need to hear these words as a challenge to hear the cries of people who actually have something to worry about. To seek the kingdom, as verse 33 says, to entrust yourself to him. If you hear these words and you don't feel anything at all, it should probably alarm you and call you toward reality, toward responsibility, toward mercy. Here in this passage, we see Jesus repeat this prohibition again three different times, do not be anxious. And along with those commands not to worry, he gives us three reasons why we need not be anxious, words that can transform our hearts, that can help guide us away from worry. So I want to jump into those now. Here's the first reason that Jesus gives. God provides for his creation, and especially you and me. See that first prohibition again in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, don't be anxious specifically about where we'll get food or drink or clothes to wear. And then he asked the first of many questions in this passage. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here seems to be his point in that question. God's given you life. You're still alive now. You have a body, you have breath in your lungs, a heartbeat in your chest. He's taking care of that. Don't you think that he can handle the smaller stuff, like food for your stomach, like clothes for your back? And then he launches into these two beautiful illustrations. Jesus says, look at the birds, the wildflowers. Take a look at them, learn, let them be your teacher. Jesus says first in verse 26, check out the birds. They don't stress, and yet God cares for them. He gives them all the food they need, and he asks, are you not of more value than they? And of course, he wants us to answer yes. We're human beings after all. And Christ asks another question in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Worrying isn't going to make us live better, and it sure won't make us live longer. And of course, we know theologically that our days are numbered by the Lord, but it doesn't rid us of responsibility. If anything, all this anxiety will shorten our lives and not prolong them. Anxiety doesn't do anything except bad things, right? Jesus then turns to a second illustration here in verses 28 through 30. Why are you worried about what you wear? He says, consider the lilies, study them, the flowers of the field. He says, they don't fret, but don't they look amazing? Better dressed than King Solomon ever was. Those flowers just look such beauty. Don't you think God can handle just giving you, you know, ordinary old clothes? And then another question in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So those lilies, you see, will soon burn the wilt. May it end up in your fireplace, he says, but you're immortal. You were made for glory. Don't you think that God will also take care of you? So here again, the first reason Jesus gives for why we don't need to be anxious, God provides for his creation, and especially you and me. Now, as Christians, we believe in a God who has created the heavens, the earth, everything we see, mountains, oceans, plants, animals, you and me, human beings, right? We're not materialists who think that the matter we see is all there is. No, we believe in a God who made it and therefore owns it. Now, we also believe in a God of providence. Providence that God rules over that creation, that he holds everything together. We're not deists thinking that God made everything and then just decided to go out for lunch. We're not pantheists that think that he somehow is in the rivers and the trees. No, we believe that God is separate from his creation. He's creator, but he's also involved intimately in his creation. And he provides for all that he's made. Providence, providence. Now, God uses means. You know, we don't believe that God hurls breadcrumbs from the sky to those birds. There's no IV tube running from heaven filled with chlorophyll, right? God's put natural processes in place, but in his glory, for, in his power, for his glory, he cares for his creation, and that also, of course, includes us. We also believe that God made humans to bear his image, to serve as his representatives on the earth. Now, it might be controversial today, to say that my daughter is more valuable to God than our beloved dog, and he's much beloved. But that shouldn't be controversial. We're image bearers, each one of us. And Jesus is saying here, if God cares for his creation, he'll certainly care for the pinnacle of his creation, human beings, right? So reason number one again, why we don't need to worry, God provides for his creation, and especially you and me. So Jesus says, go take a hike, Look around with wonder. Let what our Father has made teach us and convict us, and through that, guard us from worry. Here's a second reason why Jesus says we don't need to be anxious. Our Creator is our Father, and He knows what we need. Our Creator is our Father, He knows what we need. That's, there's then this second prohibition in verse 31. Jesus is repeating himself. He's, he's doing this for emphasis. He wants us to hear him. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? And then he makes two statements that give us together a second reason why we don't need to worry. He talks about Gentiles, those outside the people of God, those who don't believe. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. This story is told that Martin Luther's wife, Catherine, one day was getting sick of her boy Marty's attitude. Maybe like Amy with me yesterday. Apparently the Pope trying to get him killed had put him in a bad mood. Some say she walked in the room wearing all black but they say that she did come into the room and pronounce to her husband, very matter-of-factly, God is dead. And he was caught off guard. He wasn't happy about this. And he says, God is not dead. 
To which Catherine replied, it sure seems like God is dead the way you're acting. And it served to wake the reformer up. When we worry, that's how we're acting, like God is dead or God doesn't even exist. We're living as what we could call practical atheists, like people who don't believe God is real. Jesus then makes another point in verse 32. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So imagine your son is visibly anxious, can't relax and fall asleep, and you ask him, what's up, buddy? What are you all worried about? And he replies, I'm just afraid that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and we're not going to have any food. You might be confused, maybe a little offended. Um, I'm your dad. Have you ever gone without a meal? Don't you trust me? Don't you think I'm good? The other problem when we worry as believers, we're acting like orphans that don't have a dad, that we have to fend for ourselves. Jesus is saying here, God is your father. He knows your needs. So why are you freaking out, child? There's no need for that. Jesus here reminds us of some important truths. First of our identity and life as believers. When we come to faith in Christ, we're brought into the family of God, we're made sons, we're made daughters, we're adopted, we're no longer orphans, and God isn't just our maker, he's our father, and in his care we're secure. But the Bible also calls us not just sons, but saints. You know, that's a common greeting of Paul in the New Testament, perhaps implicit right here that we're saints. I'm not talking about the super-Christians but all of us who believe called saints by God, meaning we're set apart from the world, by him we're devoted to him, and that means that we're meant to be different by his power. And one way that we should be different is that we're not running around freaking out. We act different from those who don't know Christ, from the pagans. More on that in a bit. Second, think about the identity and work of God. Yes, God is in a sense the father of all, but the Bible says he's especially the father of those who believe. Maybe you had an unloving father, maybe you had an abusive dad, but he's a good, good father. And as we'll see on the next page as we continue through the series, in Matthew 7, he's a father who gives good gifts when we ask him. But he's also our savior, isn't he? He's worked on our behalf through the gospel. One day he's going to rid the world of sin. If we believe he's now rescued us from our sin, that's good news. It's what he's done for us. And that truth is meant to be one thing that helps ward off our worries. I love the way Romans 8.32 puts it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So follow the logic. If he did the greatest thing, if he did the hardest thing, he can do the ordinary stuff, the easy stuff, like, for example, make sure we have food to eat and clothes on our back. That's who he is. That's what he does. I love the way that author Jenna Oshman puts it. The same hands that hold your future are the same hands that were pierced for you. You can loosen your grip. What's our second point again? Why we don't need to worry. Our creator is our father and he knows what we need. Now before I move on to the third point that Jesus gives, I want us to ask, based on those first two reasons, 
what exactly our anxiety really says. And I'm saying this as a chronic worrier from a long line of worry warts. What's it saying? How about things like, God, I don't know if you're really in control. I'm not sure that you're good. Something like that. We can communicate to ourselves and to those around us that we have some measure of control, which we clearly don't have, or we desperately need to find some way to control, although that's a hopeless cause. Think about this. It's not just acting like he doesn't exist. It may be even worse. We're acting like we're God ourselves. As Tim Keller has put it, worry is looking out at the world and being afraid that God isn't going to get it right. You're filled with anxiety because you think life is up to you. You're trying to take the place of God, but you are unqualified for the job, and anyone who is in a job they're unqualified for feels really weird. Anyone else feel weird from time to time? I do. Therefore, we need to hear the words of Christ here in Matthew 6 today. Let's move on to the third reason why we don't need to be anxious. Our king wants us to live in the grace he gives for today. Our king wants us to live in the grace he gives for today. We see the third prohibition in verse 34. There do not be anxious about tomorrow. And then he gets to the reason right away. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One novel I read, I enjoyed at the end of the year, um, was Claire Keegan's book, Small Things Like These. It follows the, the main character, uh, Bill Furlong, who's an Irish coal merchant, who ends up, through the story, confronting some abuse in the church. But in the scene way before that, where he's just hanging out with his family around Christmas, the author Keegan lets us see into his heart, and I think it, it relates at least to me. She writes, always it was the same for a long thought. Always they carried mechanically on without pause to the next job at hand. What would life be like, he wondered, if they were given time to think and reflect over things? Might their lives be different or much the same or would they just lose the run of themselves? Even while he'd been creaming the butter and sugar, his mind was not so much upon the here and now and on this Sunday nearing Christmas with his wife and daughter so much is on tomorrow, and who owed what, and how and when he'd deliver what was ordered, and what man he'd leave to which task, and how and where he'd collect what was owed. And before tomorrow was coming to an end, he knew his mind would already be working in much the same way, yet again, over the day that was to follow. Relate to that? So much concern about tomorrow that we're missing out on today, and we do it over and over and over again. I think that's why Jesus says he doesn't want us to worry he wants us to enjoy the grace that he has for us today. Maybe you've heard the story about how God provides for his people in the wilderness back in Exodus 16. Right? He gives them quail along with this, this magical bread, manna, that comes down from the sky. And God tells his people through Moses, grab all you need, eat up, Enjoy the manna, but don't leave any of it left for the next day, except for before the Sabbath. And of course, as the pattern goes, they don't listen, and they wake up to the smelly, rotten mess. What was happening? They were worried about tomorrow, and they weren't enjoying God's good grace that he'd given them for that day. 
Jesus says again, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow's gonna come. There'll be troubles then for sure. Today has more than enough things you could worry about. And I think he's implying, hey, let's take one day at a time and watch my father do his thing. The great Corey Ten Boom once put it this way, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. We're squandering God's grace he's given us for today on things that we fear might happen tomorrow. And as Mark Twain once famously put it, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Worry gets us nowhere, it takes us backward, and it makes us miss out on today. 1 Peter 5, 7, um, great verse from God, tells us what to do with our fear. We're to cast all our anxieties on him. Throw them at him because he cares for us. But they're preceded in verse 6 by humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So know your place. Humble yourself. We're not God. We should stop acting like it. This doesn't just blaspheme him, though. It hurts us. It saps our joy. We're weighed down by burdens that we're never meant to carry, right? Remember the Lord's Prayer. We went through that recently where Jesus says, give us tomorrow the bread that we will need. No, he doesn't say that, right? He taught us to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Take one day at a time, Jesus says. Today is going to keep you quite busy enough. Thinking about tomorrow will only mess things up. Again, he says, our king wants us to live in the grace that he gives us for today. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about how we can apply this passage as a people. Here in Karis, we call ourselves a gospel community on mission. And I want to think briefly about how Christ's words here apply to each of those aspects of who we are. First, we're a people of the gospel. And Christ teaches us here that the main way to battle anxiety is through believing his good news. How do we get that? The gospel of Jesus is that through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, we're forgiven. We're brought into a family And again, our creator is now our father. Did you catch what Jesus calls those who fear and fret over food and clothing in verse 30? He addresses those people, us, as, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Well, that sounds harsh. But he's saying the root of our worry is unbelief, right? And who God is and what God has done for us. We battle anxiety primarily through faith. We preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another. We're not Gentiles. We're believers. We have a father, as Jesus says, who knows what we need and promises to provide. You might have noticed some wording that I keep repeating, and it's not insignificant. These are reasons why we don't need to worry. Hear me? It's not just that we should not worry. It's that we need not worry. There's a big difference there. Jesus tells us not to, but more than that, he says we don't have to because we're children of the Father. We're his kids through the gospel. Second, let's take our community around the gospel. 
Now, as he doesn't want us to fret about the needs of our families as us as individuals, we also shouldn't be anxious about our needs as this family here together. The pandemic was tough on us, Karis. We've been struggling financially since. As I began, the fact that we shouldn't worry doesn't mean that we don't work, that we're not wise, that we don't have a plan. It's the same here as a church. How's God going to provide for us? He normally does that through means, mainly through you, through me, through others that come and embrace the gospel. We may find out that our wants aren't our needs, as we often do. We may have to make some adjustments for sure, but God wants us to trust him to provide everything we need to go about this mission that we're called to together. So let's not be anxious. Let's go on seeking his kingdom as a community together. He's faithful. He'll provide for us. I'll never forget one day walking around downtown distraught. It was 2006. We were worshiping in the Tiger Hotel downtown. It felt like we were building some momentum, and one of the owners called and had decided that he no longer wanted us there. But God made a way. We got to stay. But a few years later, in 2011, a new owner bought the hotel, and then we knew that time we definitely were going to have to leave. And this pastor friend found a way, who was serving here, found a way for us to come and meet right here in this space. Calvary Baptist had their gathering at 945. We had ours, and we had to say that it was at 11-ish. And we did that for a couple of years until God gave us this building just down the street. And then a few years later, he brought us back home right here. So if you didn't catch that, I didn't specify this, but that's two buildings God provided for free from the hand of God. And let me tell you, my worrying did not make a difference at all. He's provided us for us, Karis, every step of the way. He'll continue to do so. So let's trust him together as a community. Third, let's talk about our mission together as a people. I started out at the beginning quoting Mark Sayers about this ambient anxiety that we all swim in these days. That comes from this book entitled A Non-Anxious Presence. And what Sayers argues there is that what the world needs in all of this anxiety is a non-anxious presence. The world needs to see people in a tumultuous world who don't freak out, right? But to get there, we need the presence of God. We need the peace of God. A life trusting God for the ordinaries of life will stand out against an anxious world. It may be the most powerful witness we can give to the gospel. Now, there's a grand verse in this section that I maybe seem to ignore, but I'll actually focus on it next week. But Jesus tells us something not to do three times. Do not be anxious again. But he gives us something for us to do instead. There's this counteraction he gives in verse 33. He says, but, don't do this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What's he saying? Instead of worrying, we should be seeking. And as we run after his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll make sure that we have all we need. So maybe you've been around this fall and summer and you've seen the parade of missionary partners that have come across the stage. It's been amazing. 
And they've shared for us what God's been doing in and through them. We've gotten to pray for them. They've talked about how God has and is providing for their needs, and it was really encouraging. The more we seek after his kingdom, the more we'll need him to provide, and the more we'll get the pleasure of seeing it come about, right? Maybe you can't relate with this passage at all, and anxiety feels a million miles away. Maybe you're in a place where your faith is really strong, but more likely, you're not in a place where your faith is being stretched. Are you seeking his kingdom? Are you giving him your life? If we're on mission with him, we'll get to see him come through. As we pour our lives out for him, we'll see him provide. We'll hit on that more next week. Now, as I began, it's weird, right, to to think about being commanded how to feel. Jesus, again, is the one who can change our hearts. If there's anyone who can tell us to trust and obey, it's him. But I want to just briefly wrap up with talking about how we go about building that trust, hearing his words we've been saying, but there's something else. I want you to think with me for a second about what worry really is. So you're washing dishes, you're wondering how you're going to pay for that repair on your car. So you're stressing about that, maybe you're, you're stressing about your credit card bill for the last time your car broke down on the road, it's rolling through your mind. It's churning back and forth over and over. You're, you're thinking, what can I do? How's this going to work? How can I provide for my family? How can I get a, a second job? Whatever it would be. But what essentially is happening there? You're basically praying to yourself. We're talking to ourselves about our problems. And there's a big problem with that. We can't do anything about them. Craig Cabana says this, I think this is so helpful, worry inventories my resources and frets, faith inventories God's resources and rest. Jesus says here, instead of worrying, go seek the kingdom of God elsewhere, and that includes this, elsewhere he tells us to pray, to humble ourselves, to cast our anxieties to him. As he says through Paul over in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What can we do to battle this anxiety? Remember his providence, the fact that he's our dad, that will graciously care for us one day at a time. We run after his kingdom. We go to him for our needs. That's what he tells us to do. Church, in this fallen world, we're going to have troubles. We're always going to be tempted to fear. But we can see growth as his gospel takes grip on our souls. And we can point to his glory as we stand out in an anxious world. Carlos, we don't need to worry. For our creator is our father. And he will provide for our needs today. We don't need to worry. For our creator is our father. And he will provide for our needs today. Let's remind each other of that. Let's pray. Father, um, I know this is a hard passage, um, but it's an encouraging one. Lord, where each of us finds ourselves, whatever struggle, however it looks like, Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us the strength to turn our eyes to you and trust in who you are and what you've done and what you'll do.
We ask for that help, Lord. Um, We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.